Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by the new film 11816. 11816 follows 16 subjects spanning the country's geographic, socioeconomic, and political divide throughout the course of a historic election day. Featuring footage carefully curated by a group of some of America's finest documentary filmmakers, producer-creator Jeff Deutschman's second installment in his election film series affords viewers with a uniquely cinematic look at the chaotic glory of American democracy. It's quite something. 11816 is now playing in select theaters. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor, coming to you from Ann Thompson's kitchen in Los Angeles. <laughs> Always the best place for us to catch up at the start of the day. I'm out here uh, for the IndieWire Honors. We just did our first big awards event, uh, which was a really cool thing. I mean, big. It's very IndieWire. Yes, I would say big is pushing it. It was a, it was a kind of a cozy little gathering where we celebrated people who I think were very uh, consistent with the kind of work that we've been celebrating, and also people we've been talking about all year, like Kumail Nanjiani, who got this uh, very specific award as sort of a, an actor for his performance in The Big Sick, but was there with his wife Emily, and they're just. Every, they're ubiquitous. You know, they are pushing the big six so hard, and it's only just starting in some ways for this movie that opened well over the summer. And it's always interesting, I think, to see people like that who have never been completely swept up in this process. They've before. never done it before. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to Fatih Akin, who's the director of In the Fade, and we gave an award to Diane Kruger, the star, who won uh, Best Actress at Cannes. Yeah. And uh, she is uh, lovely, really great performance in the movie, but he had never, uh, he, 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 he had never had the level of... Uh, they're asked to do an enormous amount of press is what it is and he had been I think Edge of Heaven was also uh, submitted for foreign um, a right. few, you know, years back so maybe 10 years and ago it was like exactly like and it was tiny it was not anything like what he has to do now right well he seemed really happy about it Diane Kruger was very interesting because you know she has been this very talented actress for a long time. I think a lot of us took note of her, say, in Inglorious Bastards, for example. But she's also this very famous German uh, model who then had this very complex career as an actress in France, and then she did National Treasure. So she's been on the scene for a long time. But I she's... didn't realize that she had left Germany. Right. She was this is her first German film. Exactly. Yeah. And... So that this was a return to her home. Yeah. Turf and they've and never really, welcome back. I think her. they never had a reason to own to really celebrate her as one of her one of their own. Yes. you know. But it's also interesting because in spite of this long career, she's never really been central in a film to this extent and promote having to promote it for award season. So it's you could tell with her it was sort of like and she lives in New York now for the most part it seems she was sort of figuring this out 
now because unlike the big sick people who've been on the road and doing so much for you know months this movie opened at can and now they're starting to ramp up and say kind of have to reintroduce it to the yeah, conversation exactly no but it's it's one of there's a obviously a long there was like a record number of foreign films uh, submitted this year over 90 and um uh, there are there's a group of them that are just starting to play out the ones that are opening the earliest including the square and I had so much fun talking to Ruben Ostlund the director um, he's a fun I, guy I really recommend this movie it just plays well it's fun it's it's a satiric thing but what I didn't realize about him was that he has a, a where he's coming from is is this sort of strong ethical streak you know, he's he's really someone who, who's showing us ourselves and making us uncomfortable about what we see in a way that not that many filmmakers do. I enjoyed that movie, um, and in the, in the fade is coming out, and it's it's a strong uh, terrorist drama about. Um, a woman who loses her family and how she deals with it, and it's a great performance. Yeah, I mean, the movie is... What's what's interesting about it is that she basically is the engine of the movie, and she's in every scene, pretty much, and it goes in some unpredictable places, especially in the third act, but she kind of helps it go there in a way that I wasn't expecting. I think with a without a strong performance as a centerpiece of that movie, it wouldn't be as effective as what it is. So it really is all about her. It, then it's part partly a courtroom drama. Also, it sort of reveals the uh, justice system in Germany, which is a little different from ours. And they're dealing with Nazis, and it's very creepy. Yeah. And also, what's great about her performance is you don't know what she's going to do. Yeah. No, she's, totally. She's deranged. You're like, is this a revenge movie? Is she going to come out a... to the right to the side of of, of humane, uh, you know, maturity, or is she going to go all the way to you know lethal weapon or something? So I think what's interesting about this is so from a from a foreign language Oscar perspective. I guess it's it's a sentimental, easier sell than so, something riskier. But from the acting standpoint, it's interesting because it's Magnolia, and this is probably the most ambitious or, or most exciting kind of film outside of the square that they have going for them. In, They've in had other season. things like um, the Mads Mikkelsen. Royal Affair, mm-hmm. they do pretty well with that. They 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 got they do a lot of Scandinavian movies that do well. But I'm just talking about from the best actress perspective. That's true. Campaigning that side of it. That's you know, true. Going up alongside a lot of American people. I mean, the idea. The problem, of, of course, is that the best actress category is is. I'm so glad that we at IndieWire were able to give her a little extra push. Exactly. Because it's a very, it's a very competitive yeah. year. Hey, and who else was there but Mary J. Blige <laughs> getting a breakthrough performance award for film, which is appropriate. I thought about this because I had to sit down and do a kind of video thing with her. Even though she's Mary J. Blige, when she took the podium, there was a hush in the room, you know. It's she's a, glamorous. She's glamorous. It was in the tabloid press, all she that was stuff. shining in gold. Yes. But when you sit down with her and you talk to her about making an indie movie, it feels like talking to... Uh, a newcomer who is in uncharted terrain because she she's, hasn't done this before. She's always wanted to do drama. I had a, a nice conversation with her also. And she's from New York. You know, she sounds very New York, but mm-hmm. she would visit her family in the South every summer. So she was able to channel that. And it was inside of her. And she's so dignified. And what D. Race, uh, the director, said, the writer-director, uh, she said that she saw that reserve in her. 
mm-hmm. that dignity in her, and that's and the strength, and that's what she brings across. I think she could have a good chance of getting nominated for my. Well, and it, and you think about the timing. So we did this kind of tight knit. Uh, influencers kind of a thing and then next week Mudbound gets another moment in the spotlight AFI opening night which is a huge slot for a movie like usually they have a world premiere and this movie's played you said eight festivals so I asked so. Um, Jacqueline uh, Lianga about it because she's uh, she's the director of, of the AFI and, and it is an unusual thing to, to take a movie that's so well viewed already and, and put it in that slot and she just felt very strongly that she wanted to push this movie and give it a chance. And Netflix, it, you know, doesn't have theaters, and so this is their way of bringing these movies to the big screen. And it makes, in some ways, a huge difference that it's playing so much, because when you think about it, then all of a sudden, they push a button, and this movie is all over the world, essentially, on platforms. November 17th. Everywhere. Right. So they really need the festival, I mean, talk about the the value of a festival platform. You know, it's like each festival is sort of helping to build some kind of awareness for this thing because once it's out there it's not going to have the, the kind of platform element of, of getting to more cities and all that kind of thing. So, so for a long time I was thinking that the this was a disadvantage for Netflix that a movie like this would have more trouble building up the kind of awareness that you have you know in theaters after many months something like Moonlight just playing and playing and playing and getting all this attention for a long time and I'm realizing that movies like Stronger and Breathe um, and Detroit, you know, really worthy, very well-reviewed movies, and Wonderstruck even, um, are not doing that well in theaters, and that that becomes a negative. They get tainted. Right. They become uh, thrown out of the conversation. It's harder to remember them, to celebrate harder them. harder to make people see them. And I'm wondering if Netflix isn't an advantage the other way that if Mudbound say had gone out by Fox Searchlight or A24 or something like that and it had done badly in the theaters if there was One no weekend guarantee and that, was it. Yeah. That, that movie was going to instantly do well in theaters right um, what if this is better for a movie like Mudbound that would be challenged. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's a very specific kind of movie, and that's part of the reason why I think it took so long. But it's so a very to... academy movie. Yeah. In its, in its, in its pleasures, in its epic it, scale it is, and but we're in a weird time. drama. Well, we should talk about that, right? Because one of the things that keeps coming up, and we have talked about this before, is could Get Out be a Best Picture contender, right? That's not a very academy movie, at least from the outset. You know, it was a so I did a little homework. I actually was looking this up, and I discovered that there's a certain kind of high level horror movie that becomes more prestigious somehow by virtue of the director say you spent some time with. Billy Friedkin uh, when you went to Lyon and he is one of the exceptions The Exorcist was nominated for Best Picture well because he wasn't I mean it tainted is the wrong word but that is the only horror film he made and it was after and he elevated the genre yeah I mean so it was sort of like he had a different profile and it also was one of those movies that just exploded in the zeitgeist and the same thing you could say with Rosemary's Baby that was not a, a horror filmmaker but Jordan Peele said that is not the same thing. I mean, this is a first feature made by a horror nut who had an, another profile as a comedy guy. True. And... So he was unknown, and he was coming from a place where he hadn't really been pigeonholed. Right. He was known, yet, but not as a filmmaker. As a filmmaker. Yeah. As a filmmaker, and very well known as a as an as a comedian and an actor and a writer. But what about um, 
the idea that it's Hitchcockian because you can take Hitchcock. Yeah. He, although he wasn't well beloved, Rebecca got something. Well, you were seen as sort of a popular showman. Psycho type. was nominated for some things. Yeah. But most of the movies, but you know, Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky, that got a Best Picture nomination. Um, the Sixth Sense from M Night Shyamalan. Right. Uh, Another was, first feature, actually. That might be the most interesting. Not a first feature. Oh, no, you're right. Second feature, but nobody had really saw it. it was Breakout sort of, feature. Yeah, it was his big breakout. Um, I happened to interview him before that. I actually felt like I discovered M Night Shyamalan, <laughs> and then I was so disappointed in him later when yeah. he stopped being. He stopped this, telling people that. Good. <laughs> but, but part of what we were talking about before we started the podcast was that there's um there's a story on the site that Tom Brueggemann did about. You know, challenging the New York Times story that all the horror movies of these of this year, and by the way, the, it is true, the movies that did well and did best this year, including it, um, you know, as outside of the usual Marvel universe, um, they they are the biggest grossing movies of the year, and so the New York Times is saying that this was the biggest grossing on record year on record for yeah. horror, you know, for horror movies. And and so Tom, of course, went back and did his adjusted grosses and figured out that 1931, when Frankenstein <laughs> and and uh, Dracula were first introduced at uh, Carl Lemley's Universal, was one of the big years. Well, or, let them have it. Or the sixth I mean? tenth year, or the Exorcist year. There were right. there were some really big years too. Yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky one to kind of assess. But Get Out irrespective of all this stuff, was has been so commercially successful. And overseas. It did really well overseas, too. Made bigger than they expected. And yeah. It did, like, 75 It was very interesting. When overseas. I was in France, for example, seeing the, the posters for it, you know, it opened, I think, right around the time Cannes was going on or something, and it's, like, there, it has a different kind of identity in some ways, because, like, genre is treated differently there, and it's an American film. So, But it's it's interesting, because wherever it goes... It's still really entertaining, and people want to go to movies to be entertained. So it's been commercially successful, and that has continued to keep it in the conversation, kind of like the big sick, I guess, on on some level. And yet, the it's diversity also, things there. It's also got gravitas in the sense right. that it's about something it has that ideas. attacks something that's in our culture right. that we all need to deal with. Came at it from a completely novel perspective that we hadn't seen before. It has more supporters in Moonlight. Just in the writers ways. will yeah. go for it. I'm pretty sure even though original screenplay is hugely competitive, even The Big Sick is going to have to fight sick. to get you in there. You got James Ivory. I know. it's No, that's that, Oh, that's adapted. That's yeah, you're right. So maybe he'll just So, no, the, that category is less crowded right. and Mudbound will do well there. That's true. I think. That's um, true. But, and maybe The Beguiled gets in to adapt it. Best shot exam. it's got. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, that's sort of fading from the conversation, but um, I, I, I under I, there are some people who think that the, the Get Out could do really well. I think it will get a Best Picture nomination. I do, but the best directors, the five directors, kind of tell you who the top contenders are, and I'm not sure Jordan Peele gets in there. Well, that that's the kind of thing you usually say. We start to figure out when the Guild stuff comes. Yeah, out, but we have right? to see how some of the late breaking. So a lot of the speculation last night at this party. It's always fun to, to sort of talk to people about why they didn't like Blade Runner 2049 right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, the uh, post, nobody knows anything yet. And 
Dunkirk. You know, it's a Spielberg movie, and John Williams is doing the score, and Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep are in it, and it's about something important, so... And it's sort know. of a new new way of tackling all the president's men. It's not going to change film language From a feminist anything. point of view, which yeah. is... Well, if that's, you look that's at all the, the president's point. men starring <clears throat> Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> well, you see yeah. that it was a very misogynistic culture back then. And he's sort of been revealed as a representative of that culture. All right, so I guess we have to talk about some of the updates with all the, all that stuff. Also I mean, the topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because it's, you know, setting aside the ridiculousness of saying, oh, there shouldn't be a witch hunt or whatever, it does make you start wondering. I mean, this is a much bigger reckoning than any one person. You couldn't have predicted it. Yeah, and it, it's just sort of like week after week these things come out because we're talking about a systematic dysfunction that goes back generations. Decades. You know? So what you have are these news outlets um, inundated. With a, and they're all creating this sort of queue of stories that they have to do. And we've done a few of them ourselves, and I can tell you, um, we did one that was, um, you know, you have to carry the the story of the woman or, or the man who's, who's telling you what happened to them. Right. And you have to go through legal things, and you have to make sure every T is crossed. Right. And, very meticulous and it's very meticulous uh, People don't always realize no, that and before so each it's out of, there. You know, for the, I have so much respect for the New York Times and, and the New Yorker for what they did do. Right. And they got people on the record, you know. And also women are, I mean, they're one of the points that's been made besides the fact that, you know, Harvey, who's receding into the background but still remains the sort of monstrous character in this, um, and more revelations are coming out of, you know. Paz de la Huerta. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she terrible. was saying she was raped uh, twice. Twice. Um, and then, you, but but you also have have, have people. Uh, so so you you know that each of these publications is just processing each story, and that they went with the biggest ones first, and they went with the ones with the most people, and so you know that Brian Singer is waiting in the wings. You know he's already disbanded his Twitter account. Um, I mean, that's the one. Well, with Brett Ratner, which also broke in and the Kevin past Spacey, week. Kevin Spacey, but you Kevin know, Spacey and Brian Singer are related. Basically. Right, but with Ratner, it was interesting because it was one of those things where it was like, kind of like Harvey, where you start to take for granted the kind of, the, this This is sort of like a, an awful person. A womanizer. And, and a womanizer and, and all that yeah, stuff. And then you realize, like, oh, yeah, giver. that's actually really terrible, and there are victims involved in that dynamic that we don't talk about because the person obscures that. But then there are other stories, like I was very touched by this one about a woman who was one of the AFI directing fellows who brought up a, 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 an example of her teacher, her, her mentor, um, uh, her uh, advisor uh, harassing her. And, and she uh, went to Jean Furstenberg of the AFI, a woman I've always respected and admired, who ended up standing up with the men and letting the woman go and telling her she was worthless right. and not There's talented. There's complicity all around. And the way yeah. that all the men, you know, the, the women of that generation, like Jean Furstenberg, just went with the men. They, they, they did that to preserve their own jobs. And in a situation where everyone else was male... She did, and you can read the story and, and see that, that Furstenberg sees what happened and recognizes that it was a tough situation yeah. and tried to come through for the woman later, but it, it is 
I had an experience like that where I was reporting um, a, a New Line Cinema piece for Premiere, and we ran um, a very big expose about about the uh, sexual harassment climate there at that studio. And at the end of it, one woman that had been a uh, that I'd known very well in New York uh, from the Film Society of Lincoln Center chastised me because I had somehow crossed the line into the men's personal lives. And she was friends with these men, the, the men who ran New Line. Yeah, it's like people were doing these awful enabling things and not even totally being aware. And this is like the 90s you're talking about probably. From That's from right. Here. So it's not really that long ago. It, it, it's, it's strange to think of that as being another era where this was a permissible kind of way to behave. But that's what we're going through now is recognizing that. Yeah, on some we have level. to sort of shift all of our, our ways of thinking. And, and um, I was having a conversation with someone last night about, about the woman director race, which I'm going to be writing about this weekend. And sometimes I say, have I just internalized all the rules of the academy and how they think and how they vote that, you know, Lady Bird can't get in? It just won't happen. Because, you know, they, because they because they will and, usually yeah. give Jane Campion or Sofia Coppola they will give them the screenplay right you know I mean they may nominate uh, a woman rarely but it's so hard and it still is it still is well let's on a more positive note of female empowerment labored is opening this week and it's I mean we'll see how it does but it's there's so much enthusiasm I mean the you're doing a piece on her there was this very you know, kind of in-depth New York Times profile and New York Magazine. I'm just seeing her face suddenly everywhere, and you know they she's work these people hard. She's 93 on Metacritic, and yeah. I think she's at something like 100 or 99. The enthusiasm is, is really it's there. It's a good movie. The thing that I was realizing as I was digging into her um, and trying to do her some justice was just how long she's been preparing for, for this. Yeah, it's like and a decade-long build-up in one some of those, ways. She's been in the business for 11 years. Yeah. You know, started out, we talked about this mumblecore roots with Joe ah, Swanberg. I hate that term. <laughs> <laughs> Janet Pearson of South by Southwest got mad that I was complaining that I don't like the term because it's She kind wants of, to own that It's term. part of the legacy of that festival, but to me, it's, it's not that it's... To me, it's the problem is that it, it distracts from the complexity of these different movies and the timeline that they're on to think, think of it, it as a, a generational thing. It's a generational I think thing. you just pick those. You, you look at Mark Barry Duplass Jenkins and, is part of that Andrew too. Andrew Bajowski. Exactly. And, and, and in fact, um, Greta Gerwig was very moved that Barry Jen- Jenkins introduced right. her movie. Well, it was Tellurite. almost like a passing of the baton. Like, right. I did this last year. Now it's your turn. Exactly. So so we'll see how it does. You know, this time next week. I think week, it'll do very well. I, I, there was an A24 person there last night. Did we finish all the honorees? We did. Sterling K. Brown was there. Right. For This Is Us. And we talked about Marshall, he, he which he's good. very good in. Um, and then we had uh, Issa Rae also. And of Insecure. course... James Franco, our former contributor. He gave a good speech. <laughs> he did give a good He's speech. He's going to be uh, very good on the stump circuit, and I have high hopes for his performance in Disaster Artist actually getting nominated. Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, you know, I, I talked to James about this performance a while ago, like maybe a year ago, and when he started doing his Tommy Wiseau impersonation, the guy who made The Room, I was like... I don't know. I feel like this could end up being seen as kind of a, a hokey James Franco performance art thing. And you realize that's the point. He's one of those people, and people will get that. But he's also really funny in the role. But he also so. somehow is able to bring across how 
vulnerable actors are yeah. and and how how no matter whether you have talent or not how much you want to be yeah. successful yeah. and how hard it is it's good filmmaking to, it, but, yeah. but but I think I one of the reasons I'm I'm optimistic about his chances first of all it's a weak field yeah. the best actor race uh, that gives him a better shot but I, I actually think uh, actors will relate to it. Yeah. Um, so this time next week, we can talk about how did Lady Bird do, but also AFI Fest will actually be happening. So that's kind of the last big festival of the fall, I guess, that we'll have to kind of dig yeah. into. So more to come. And uh, it's always great being here in your kitchen. See you next week. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.